Welcome. We are your hosts for Bitches Be Brave. This is Heather Hobbs. And this is Bev Steele. And together we are everyday working women trying to raise a family, succeed at our careers, stay fit and healthy, and still look hot. It's our hope to address the issues that we deal with every day and to bring you the knowledge and information from the top experts so that together we can truly thrive and experience wellness in all dimensions of life. And because we care, please remember the thoughts, comments, and advice of this podcast and our guests do not substitute medical advice and you should consult your doctor before starting any new program. And we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at bitchesbebrave at bitchesbebrave.com or visit our website, bitchesbebrave.com or Instagram at bitchesbebrave. Welcome back. This is episode 16, and today I'm missing my sidekick. Beverly is on a flight and was unable to make it to our recording today and our interview with guest Katie McPherson, but I don't want you guys to miss this amazing interview. She is so insightful and is the go-to person for anything on kids and technology and electronics and what they're doing to our kids today. She deals with suicide every day all over the country, and she has made it her mission to go and find out how we can help reduce that number of suicides, how we can help our kids, how we can be involved and be present and really be the best parents to allow our kids to come to us and talk to us and to have really good relationships. I know for me as a parent, this is such a hot topic. It's something I think about all the time. And there were some huge nuggets in this interview today that I know I'm taking away, um, that I'm going to go back and really look at how approachable I am to my kids and how I've been threatening or using electronics as as such a negative thing and always threatening to take that away. Um, But she really puts it in a different perspective. And so I don't want you guys to miss this today. Um, We're missing Beverly for sure, but you guys are going to love this interview. So have a listen and have a great one. I am here today with Katie McPherson. Katie McPherson is the author of WTF, Why Teens Fail, What to Fix. She's a member of the Gurian Institute and co-founder of Project Connect 4, a nonprofit organization that offers training for parents, educators, administrators, and community agencies. She's an international keynote speaker, ambassador, and is often seen on TV and radio stations promoting the mental health and welfare of our teens. She spent over 23 years as an advocate for children as a school teacher, guidance counselor, and school administrator. She's also the incredible mom of four beautiful girls and someone who I have known and think the world of dearly for many, many years. So Katie, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be able to pick your brain and just dive in and share all of your experience and expertise on how we can be better parents and raise our kids. And so I'd like to start, and maybe if you could just tell us your story and how you got here. So as you said, I've been on a secondary school campus for the last 23 years. Um, In the last two or three years, I have taken a step off of um, those campuses to do uh, consulting work in the space of youth mental health um, and specifically digital citizenship and social media responsibility as we try to figure out how on earth do we parents 
in the digital age. So um, my frustration at the school level watching kids use devices and really get swallowed by them um, spurred me to take a couple years off and really get out there and try to help people. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I completely agree. And I, I've listened to you and watched you and followed you and your campaign on social media for so long. And I have to admit, I think I was one of the longer holdouts in terms of getting my kids cell phones. We didn't get them phones until just last year and this past summer. Um, but what the reason we ended up caving in is I, my son was in eighth grade at the time and we he was really having a lot of struggles and trouble like writing down his homework he wouldn't write it down and we'd come home and he had to have missed assignments and we went in to meet with the teacher and the counselor and he said well she goes i always write it up on the board and i let kids take pictures of it with their phone and then i erase it and i move on and he goes well i have like an old school flip phone and i can't take pictures with it and I said, so now we're being punished because like my son doesn't actually have, you know, we're the one holdouts. And so much of their homework is on the computer and on the phone. And so I found that by not giving in, we were at a disadvantage um, for them to be able to do their homework and like record their homework and all these other things. And so I think that's been a struggle. I don't know how to balance that too. Yeah, I, it's definitely a double bind. And our, most of our schools are asking students to bring devices to school. Um, it's a budgetary issue that the school can't provide a Chromebook or a laptop for every kid. So they're allowing kids to use devices in the classroom. And I think um, for me, it's really about what is the function of the device. So a lot of parents are holding out for various reasons. And I encourage that. Um, however, I do think there, you know, what you just outlined is a terrific uh, space for using a device for management of time, organization, and homework skills. Awesome. So, what are the some of the things that you're seeing in terms of negative effects? Um, you know, I've been, I know, I read some articles that talk about that it's as addicting, right? It's causing that addictive change in the brain, just as you would see with drugs or alcohol. Is that is that true? And what is it doing to our kids' brains? So that is the question of the day. So there is a ton of research out there being done currently, and we really won't know the longitudinal data for a while. Um, there's two theories going on right now. One is it's not as bad as we thought, and the other is, oh my gosh, this is really damaging our kids. And I think the truth is somewhere in between. And as the mother of four children, I feel like I have like a petri dish experiment in that not all of my kids are wired the same. And if I gave my twins who are 10 a device with Snapchat, Instagram, et cetera, one of them would do really well with it and one would be a complete disaster. Mm -hmm. so I think for parents, the, the, the question is, what is my kid wired like? What are they using the device for? What's the function of the device? What's the value you've put on the device and what's the desired outcome? So mm -hmm. your example of the homework and taking screenshots, the desired outcome is that he's going to be more organized and he won't forget his homework. So that's a great use. Now, if you're giving a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, WhatsApp, TikTok, you're probably not going to get your desired outcome. So I think <laughs> it's, it's time for adults to get really clear about what is the desired outcome and to work in tandem with them to create really great opportunities because it's not all bad. 
and technology is a futuristic tool that's only advancing. So I love that I've heard you talk about in tandem and like having family meetings and really engaging them. Um, maybe you can share too. I, I did get the idea of the family contract from you, which I love that. But I will say, I, I think it was a reminder when I heard you the other day talking about, again about really in, including your kids to be able to create these boundaries. And I feel like I was guilty of saying, you know what, I'm the one going, nope, it needs to be turned off. Or I use the devices like Circle or RPAC or any of those to threaten them that I'm just going to turn it off. And it's made it more of a fight in my household versus probably yeah. a <laughs> combined yeah. decision. Well, I think, again, it's an adult issue in that we have to set up the boundaries and restrictions that are realistic, knowing that you and I both work from our phones, from our laptops, and kids see us head down all the time in our own devices. So my setup and my recommendation is always, if you're going to give a device, we need to give kids dignity in the use of their device and disarm this whole us versus them. Our goal is, I'm in this with you. I'm going to support you and guide you through it. I'm not going to use it as a pawn in my parenting game. And that if and when you have an issue, I'm going to support you. Because most often in my experience, the children know way more than we do. And I don't think we give them enough credit. And so I find most families have very deep pain points around device use and the fighting over it. And it is absolutely ruining relationships with our kids. And when the stakes are really high, someone's bullying them, somebody asked them to vape, somebody asked them to have sex, whatever it is, they are not coming to us anymore because they don't trust us. Mm-hmm. That's huge. That's huge. And that's, that's such a big piece. Cause I know we've talked about this. I mean, you deal with that so much and I've heard you say there's always some sort of warning on social media. And so I guess the question is, right, how do we have that relationship where we know they can come to us, but I mean, we, I was that age, right? And I often didn't want to go to my parents for a lot of things. And so how can we as parents also monitor that best if they are one of those kids that doesn't necessarily want to come to us? I think there's not only hardware, but software that can allow you to protect and supervise doing random phone checks, having a central charging station at night. Um, I have sat with too many families who have lost their children to suicide that have said to me, we fought over the phone all the time. I took the phone away when he was a jerk. And what I should have been doing instead of fighting over the device itself was looking in the phone, even though he was 17, because in the phone there were warning signs, there were photos, there were texts and DMs that completely spelled distress. And instead of recognizing that the intense level that they are connecting with each other on there is no different than when you and I had the long cord phone around the hallway and down the stairs, right? Mm -hmm. The intensity, I watched my middle daughter, Ava. She FaceTimes her uh, best friend, Vanessa, every day after school. The phone is looking up at the ceiling. They're on the phone for like three, four hours doing homework together. And I'm like, what, who are you talking to? Vanessa. And I look at it. I'm like, I don't see Vanessa's face. She's like, yeah, she's there. And Vanessa's like, hi, Mrs. McPherson. And so nothing has changed. The medium has changed. And certainly they can connect with strangers and people that we couldn't. But when we look at the friendships, the connection, and the signs of distress, 
they are all housed on the device. So if you can set up the device and have your child have open communication with you, something for little kids I use is the no trouble bubble. If you have something to tell me, this is the space in the house, this is the no trouble bubble. You can come and tell me anything in this space. For older kids, crash and tell. You know, my oldest will lay down on my bed and tell me the woes of the world, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got to get these devices out of the middle of our relationship and recognize we have created a complete obstruction and they are desperate and signaling everywhere they go that they do need us. It might not look like they need you, but crying, rage, irritability, jerkiness, all of that may be a manifestation of some depressive and anxious kids. So how do you tell the difference? Because that's also probably symptoms of puberty, right? And preteen. So what are some of the differences between normal puberty and and actually distress? Because my youngest, he's always been my sweet one. He's always been my super easy and he's in seventh grade and I'm starting to see him just kind of pull away. He's a little edgy. He just, you know, eh, kind of grunting a lot more. And at one point you could, I panic, but then I go, you know what? He's in this tween year of seventh grade. And so how, do, what's the difference? How do you know the difference between distress and normal? Yeah, that's a, it's the, also the question of the day because it moves very quickly during puberty and I think it's important that people understand like mirror neurons. So during puberty, whatever mom's face looks like, it may look angry to you, even if it isn't. And then your child's going to mirror whatever you're seeing. So we call that co-regulation. So sometimes you'll say something and it just like throws them off and then they get jerky with you and then you get jerky back. And so when we look at typical teenage behavior and then we look at distress, for me, it's really frequency. Is, it, is there an uptick in negative self-talk? Is hygiene going downhill? Is appetite changing? How are they sleeping? What's going on with the academics? Are they connecting with their friends? Are you seeing them just kind of want to withdraw, go in their room and isolate on their phone? Um, parents that have experienced extreme distress or the completion of a suicide always say to me, when I look back, this really sticks out now but in the moment it was just a slight subtle nuance one of them said you know he used to love to ride his dirt bike after he passed away I realized that dirt bike hadn't moved in three weeks I didn't recognize because I was so busy myself so I think it's hard to put a you know a finger on the cryptic and insidiousness of it but I will tell you that the time window is 15 minutes to two weeks of sliding from, I'm not doing so well to like, I'm really not doing so well. And so I think it is imperative that parents really recognize between the hours of 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. If you could do one thing during that time frame, is really dial in, watch the nonverbals, watch the sleep patterns, get devices out of the bedroom. It's the little things that add up. And then typically for kids that are in extreme distress, there's a trigger. There's a failure on a major test. There's a loss of scholarship. Breakups for this generation, I cannot underscore enough. They, it's like oxygen. If somebody breaks up with them, it truly is the end of the world. They have a very hard time coping 
with romantic feelings and the loss of that. Um, I do also think there's some sexuality issues going on, obviously, with getting comfortable with, like, I'm not sure who I am, I'm not sure what I'm feeling, and being able to talk about that. But really, if you do an audit every day on your kid, and I'm talking every day, I mean, people, we can't just think like, oh, they're teenagers, they're being jerks anymore. Um, statistically, we are in a public health crisis when we look at anxiety, depression, and self-harm. It's like, I sound really exaggerative and dramatic, but I, I can't continue enough to pound pavement. I mean, I live in Arizona, the leading cause of death in our state for ages 10 to 14 and 15 to 34 is suicide. That's over personal injury and car accidents. So that's pretty huge. That's crazy. That's just yeah. sickening. And I know it's, I mean, it's hard. I mean, when you say, you know, the, doing that inventory between three to eight, I think when I think about that, that age group that you're talking about, I know in my household, I mean, it's crazy. We are, we are coming and going, right? Kids have practice every day after school. They've got tons of homework. So they come home from practice. They go into their room. Dinner is like the family dinner of sitting at the table together has kind of gone away because it's, we're coming and going except on the weekends. And so um, I mean, that's a good reminder because I think you just think, okay, we're in this busy phase of our lives, but we're not always stopping to just be together and take observation. It's like, here, eat. Last night's dinner was in, you know, brought up in his room because the tutor was downstairs and he was in his room. And so it's, it's tough. It's a really tough time. I think on top of everything, on top of being a, you know, managing work too. So that's, it's such a good reminder. And so I you mentioned- Sorry. What you're talking about there is our kids, especially in middle to upper income families, they know how to do a lot. They have a lot, but they don't know how to be. And that is what mm -hmm. we're seeing across the board, doesn't matter where you go, that if you think about when are your sons idle, when are they still, most parents will report uh, when they're asleep or when they're in trouble. Yeah. Like, right. You know, and that's huge. That's true. That's good. Yeah. You mentioned hardware and software because I know, um, I, I mean, I'll tell you for myself, I'm completely, my Beverly the other day called me a fossil because I, I'm not up on all the new technology. I mean, you named a bunch of apps and I think I recognize probably two or three of them. And Luckily, I think my kids, you know, I do have things set up where I, I do know what apps they have to come to me to be able to get the apps downloaded, but, um, and they're not super into social media, but I think for a lot of my generation, your generation, you're an exception. We don't know what we don't know. We don't even know what's out there. And so if you say, check the phone and pick it up, I mean, there's probably so many things that we don't even know how to get into to, to know. So what are some ways that we can, number one, I guess, learn what we need to know, and two, are there tools that we could use to stay on top of that? I think first and foremost, having a really good router. Um, the average age of viewing pornography is nine. Um, you have to think like a creeper. So creepers find kids on these apps that we're talking about. So having a really good router, um, Google Link has an excellent router. Um, Eero, E-E-R-O.com um, is the router that I use. So it filters out all vulgar, profane, explicit material. So even 
out of the gate, my home is pretty protected. Does that mean nothing can get through? No, because nothing is foolproof. So having a really good router. I would also recommend having a really good um, secondary app. You mentioned Our Pact, which is spelled O-U-R-P-A-C-T. That's a really good one to schedule, like, okay, he's allowed to have Wi-Fi from 3 to 8 p.m., and then at 8 p.m. it goes off. So those are time-scheduled restrictions. Um, some other ones, the one that I um, am an ambassador for is Bark, B-A-R-K. So Bark, you put on your phone, you put on his phone, and you check off the box. If, if he's being cyberbullied, I want to know about it. If he's using profanity, I want to know about it. If someone's luring or grooming him, I want to know about it. And so every night you get a real-time update of anything that called for distress that was profane, explicit, et cetera. So there's, some, there's thousands of apps out there, right? Mm -hmm. I would also say that the best app is you. Your relationship with your kid is going to trump any of this software and hardware. Um, you know, for younger kids, I would not be allowing them to download whatever they want on their phone. I would be setting up family share, whether you're on iOS or an Android, that there's a check and balance system that if they want to download something, it has to go through you and you're saying yes or no to it. Um, you know, for older kids that are 16, 17, that have had Snapchat for five years, I wouldn't go try to take that away. Like I wouldn't die on that hill. I would use your energy to get to know Snapchat better to monitor and supervise Snapchat and to ask your children, like, tell me why you like this so much. I think especially with video games, boys specifically get slammed for the time and the attraction they have to video games. And we don't sit down and play them with them. We don't sit down and listen to the group chat about it. We really do a lot of shaming and condemning around it and it gets lost. And then again, the relationship takes the back seat. That's really, that's good to hear. Cause I do that. I think I am so guilty of doing that. So uh, the time, I mean, is there a time? Cause my boys, it was saying, my boys are about the games. Most, of the, most of the time, you know, my, my younger one, it's like Fortnite, And it's, if it's not playing Fortnite, it's watching YouTube videos of Fortnite. Um, so is there, I mean, what is, is there a time suggestion that is kind of appropriate to let them have at these ages? So I always defer to the medical and behavioral health community on that. Um, the recommendation is age zero to 18 months, no screen time. 18 months to three years is 30 minutes per day. Screens are Kindles, iPads, iPods, iTouches, TVs, et cetera. So screen time also includes TVs. Mm -hmm. Above age um, three, there's a three to five is one hour, and then five and up is two hours. Two hours is the recommendation right now. Now, I think it's important to note there's digital candy and there's digital vegetables. Mm -hmm. So if they're having four hours of screen time at school, that type of screen time is much different than Fortnite. So I think parents need to get clear on how much screen time did they have at school, how much screen time do they have before school and after school. Cumulatively, the average American student is on nine to 12 hours a day. But part of that time is digital vegetables. It's mm -hmm. innovative, creative, so. logistical, mathematical. So um, for me, three things have to be in line when you're talking about how much time. Grades, behavior, both at home and at school, and social emotional wellness. If a kid is completely derailing in any of those areas, 
they lose the privilege of having any screen time until those three things are back in order. So I think that's all part of the plan is these three things have to be in order for you to have the privilege, not the right, to use screen time of any kind. Um, the sweet spot I think that most researchers have found is two hours or less per day. When you start looking at a kid that's on five, six, seven hours a day, that's when we start seeing the anxiety, depression, and isolation go up. Interesting, that's scary. So there's a definite correlation then between those depression and anxiety and isolation and their screen time. Well, that's what's being debated. Is it the chicken before the egg or the egg before the chicken? And I yeah. think it's both in that I have teenage students that probably spend five or six hours on Instagram and they are really doing well behaviorally, academically, and otherwise. So I think it's really about what's the content and what's the connection. If they're connecting with each other and they're just doing friendship type stuff, great. But if I'm scrolling for six hours on Instagram and my rumination loop is I'm not skinny enough, I'm not pretty enough, I didn't get invited to this party, that's where we start to worry. So I think it's really important to delineate not all screen time is bad and depending on what they're using, it, it can be a connection tool. And the reality is, again, it's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. so if you're okay with them connecting, perhaps there's a, a limit of two hours. And then again, like I have tons of families calling me every day, like his grades are tanking, he's lost weight, he's not engaged with his friends, mm -hmm. all these things. My first question is, does he get video games after school every day? Yep, he probably plays three, four hours. Okay, well, if the developmental markers of success aren't being met, then he can't have Fortnite five hours right. a night. Perhaps we only play Fortnite on the weekends. Yeah, that's huge. Well, and I heard you the other day talking about the importance of how we model to our kids too. And I, I know I'm so guilty and my husband he sits on the couch and he'll have his phone, you know, he'll be reading in the phone and I'll go, get off your phone. He's like, I'm reading the newspaper. Like I'm reading the news. It's, that's just how he now reads his news. And I said, but you know what? We don't know what you're doing. We just see you on your phone. We don't see that you're reading the wall street journal or whatever. And so I think it's, um, and same thing. I mean, I have, I don't even have one. I have two phones <laughs> that I carry around at all times. And so it's bad. And I, I do realize I'm like, you know, we, if we're going to set these rules or expectations for our kids, we probably need to also, we do need to model that in front of them as well. And I think that goes back to the value. So kids will say to me straight up the other day, 125 fifth graders. I'm like, what do you want me to share with your parents? Get them off their phones. When I'm trying to talk mm -hmm. to them and they are head down, what they're saying to me is their work is more important than me. And so no wonder they're isolating themselves in the room, scrolling for hours or connecting with friends because their attachment needs of being seen, heard, and loved by parents are not being met. Mm. That's huge. That's big. And it, so again, I think the, the theme of the day is this is an obstruction to marriages, it's an obstruction to children, and it's an obstruction to, uh, just in general, right? So we are all getting our attachment needs met by our phones. Yeah, for sure. So how do you do it? What are some of your tips? You've got four kids and a busy life, a busy business that you're running and traveling. So what are some of the ways that you manage your, your life and balancing that? 
I've had to be super intentional because my livelihood relies on my email, which is on my phone most days, right? So literally putting between 3 and 6 p.m., putting the phone in a cabinet, like it, the draw for me is too big that I, I literally can't function like mm -hmm. that. So having to put it away, my commitment to my family is from 3 to 6 p.m., my phone goes in the cabinet, I am yours, we're doing our activities, homework, dinner, et cetera. I think designating one night uh, per month to talk about technology, um, the producers of Screenagers call it Tech Talk Tuesday, um, but really just everybody brings their devices to the table. What's the bravest thing you see on your newsfeed? What's the most horrible thing? And then having the kids teach you what they're doing on it. I think we, like, we've lost our minds. And I think our parents did this with TV. Like, you're burning your brain out. You're, <laughs> your brain's going to mush. It's the same thing. But these kids are actually doing some pretty genius stuff yeah. that is creative, that is innovative, that is entrepreneurial. And we never have those conversations with them. And, and that's where I learn everything that I know about this stuff. I sit with small groups of kids and I'm like, teach me. Teach me what you know. What's the new thing? Constantly changing. So I encourage parents to do that as well. And I would say, lastly, the central charging station. One of the things that we're looking at research-wise, and the CDC calls for this, is that the devices in the bedroom and the lack of sleep Mm -hmm. It's causing moods to be off. It's causing anxiety, depression, and self-harm to be a real thing because sleep dictates all of those great things that we need. And so if, if anybody's listening right now, if you could just make one change, get more sleep yourself mm -hmm. and get devices out of the bedroom. For us too. And that's so hard because that's totally, I mean, I'm so guilty of that. It sits right next to me. That's my alarm. But it's a hundred percent true. If I wake up in the middle of the night, it's also the first thing I grab. Yeah. So. yeah. All right. Big lesson for me, Katie. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. So I want to go back just real quick and you know, it's, it's so hard what you deal with and you were talking about, you know, the number of suicides and how that's increased so much. Are there differences between boys and girls that we would specifically need to be aware of? Um, again, knowing there's 4 billion brains on the earth, but I will tell you the commonalities that I've seen. Um, the window where boys aren't like, I'm in pain, I don't know what to do is pretty short, 15 minutes to two weeks. Um, girls typically attempt way more than they complete. So for every one completed suicide, there are 25 attempts. So when I look at a whole city of data, which I did the other day, a local city of ours, they had 7,000 attempts and 700 completions between juveniles and adults. Wow. So our concern about suicide prevention is not just about the completions. And people like to focus on those numbers. But between girls and boys, the attempts are similar. But the completions, um, boys tend to be more courageous and more impulsive, and so they use more lethal means. So a girl may cut, may take a bottle of pills and not succeed, whereas boys are hanging or using guns. And so the, the courage, the impulsivity, the testosterone spike, that, that ideating brain means we're losing boys four to one over girls. But that doesn't mean that girls aren't struggling a suicide rate for girls has actually risen 30% since 
um, since 2007. And so both genders are struggling equally as much. What girls will do that boys typically don't is girls will tell 17 friends, I'm going to kill myself or mm. I'm going to hurt myself. Boys will tell no one. Mm. And so we are able to intervene and capture more of those girls than we are for our boys. Wow. That's scary. And as far as like social media and signs of distress, girls will post and message and boys will post and message. But boys' posts may sound something like, life has fallen apart and I don't know what to do. Um, see on the flip side. Um, those are two phrases that have been used by two boys that are no longer with us. So see on the flip side does not say, I'm going to kill myself. It is a very cryptic, insidious message that if you're paying attention, means yeah. something. But it's also part of a succession of like red flags throughout the week that he was posting that mm -hmm. most adults aren't going to pick up on because they don't know how Twitter works and they're not supervising phones and they're not checking. The mm -hmm. kids, however, are watching the story play out. They're watching the language. They're watching the frequency. And I think important to note for parents to know as well is kids want to report, mm -hmm. but there's still a stigma about reporting. I don't want to sell out his friendship and I don't want to get in trouble and I don't want my phone to be taken away. Kids have literally said to me, I wanted to tell somebody, but I was afraid my phone would get taken away. And my parents would say, you can't hang out with Aiden because he's a bad kid. So I didn't report as much as I should. And so we, that's, again, it goes back to that obstruction and that pawn, that if we have placed so much value on this phone that kids are not willing to come to us with big, huge safety issues, we are really, really missing the mark. That's so huge because that's, that is something we were facing um, last year in school. My son had a couple situations at school that, um, where somebody was, was doing something to him. So somebody was throwing some stuff at him and he ran away. And so he ended up getting in trouble by the lunch person for running. And so when we talked, you know, and we had a couple different situations like this and I'm always like, look, you know, I know there's two sides to every story. I want to partner with administration. But in the end, my son started saying, I'm never going to tell because every time I tell, I get in trouble. And I said, you know, that scares me because you don't want to have a bunch of kids in school, especially with all the things that are going on in school these days. You want people to speak up, but it's a fine line because everybody's scared to not have equal punishment and there's, there's all of that. So that's, that's such a good point is how we react and making sure that we're making it known that they have that safe space to be open and tell us things. And I think that's the thing that I'm so busy doing right now is training faculties and parents to understand when they come to you and your response is, ah, that happened to me too. In 10 years, you're not going to worry about this. Or you need to just go figure it out. Or you need to calm down and just let it go. When a child comes to you, they've already tried all those things. They've already tried all of those strategies, right? So if you are not responding with the strategy, you're actually minimizing and dismissing pain and causing it to become worse, not better. So we have to refine our one-liners that when they come to us, what is the response? And if we don't have a response because it's beyond our reach, then we literally say to them, wow, this one's a tough one. Let me think about it for 
you know, over dinner. And then after, let's go for a walk and chat about it. What kids are looking for from us is not for you to fix it. They are looking for somebody to listen and then somebody to strategize and give them concrete strategies and be tactical about the conflict or the concern. That's good. So what are some, what are some good lines that we can say if, you know, if we're trying to think and we're, we're new at this response, what would be some good ones? Really? I mean, it's, it sounds so dumb, but like, wow, that sounds really tough. Tell me more about that. Another good one that I'm currently using with my girls. Wow. I, I never went through anything like that. That's going to be super painful. How can I help? I mean, it's just like, it should be so normal for us to respond in that way. But I think you underscored, we're busy, we're overscheduled, we're tired ourselves, and we're not paying attention. And so it's the small nuances and dynamics of the parent-child relationship that strengthen the trust, the coping, and the social confidence. And really, my goal for my girls, and you and I went to a huge high school, Mm -hmm. is when they get to a big school, middle, high school, can they go in and out of different groups of people and know how to stand up for themselves and others? And the only way that they can do that is if my one-liners call them to act, call them to say to themselves, okay, how am I going to handle this? One of the things I ask my daughters now, especially with girls, is do you want to repair this relationship? Sometimes it's okay not to want to fix it. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I don't want to be friends with that person anymore and or I need a break and saying to the other person, wow, we haven't been getting along very well lately. I'm just going to take a little break. doesn't mean I don't like you, don't want to be friends with you, but yeah, I'm just going to take a break. Mm -hmm. So I know one of the things, I, I know you travel a lot, I travel a lot, and one of the tough parts, and I don't want to just categorize and say boys are more difficult at this, but my boys are not phone talkers. Like they don't love to chat with me when I'm away. And I sometimes will get the FaceTime that's up at the ceiling <laughs> for a couple of minutes. But so I struggle with that is, um, you know, the way I monitor things, the way my husband monitors things are two different ways. And when I travel, it's like, how do we keep up on top of that, right? How do we keep that pulse when we do have lives that take us away from them? So we're not able to physically maybe see them every day or have that one-on-one connection and with boys that don't want to. So what have been some of your tips for doing that when you're away? I think, I mean, the struggle is real, right? (laughs) And my girls too, they're like, hi mom, hi, hi. You know, um, I think the FaceTime is great. And I think for us to recognize that even if we get three minutes, that's three more minutes that we connected as opposed to none. And so texting sometimes I think is a really good strategy, although for us it's a little crushing, like, don't you miss your mom? Um, But sometimes my kids are like out of sight, out of mind. You're not here. I'm doing my thing. Dad's got it. We're good. Um, So I think not personalizing it and recognizing that as long as the world's not falling apart and the sky's not falling, that they're okay with just not communicating communicating as much. I think in person, the things some people miss out on are, like I said, making up an errand and talking in the car. Boys really like shoulder to shoulder communication. Um, There is truly brain research behind the female face and boys and communication and just not feeling comfortable with that. 
a lot of boy moms have told me when the lights go out, floodgates That's open. And totally. Of information. Backseat, they're in the backseat, you're in the front. Yeah. Um, I think those are strategies that can be employed as well. I, I did start to have what I had a new kind of rule for all of us, but I said, whenever it's just me and my, and like one of my kids alone in the car that I don't want the phone in the car at that time, because that is my only, sometimes that's my only true one-on-one -on -one time that I get. And so it's driving them to their practice, which is like 25, 30 minutes each way sometimes. And so I'm like, that's it. You know, if there's other kids in the car and you, or you're doing homework or whatever, but when we have that chance to be alone, I value that. And I said, it's the same for me. I won't get on phone calls. I won't, you know, be chatting along as I'm driving. So it's, it's our time. Yeah. Super yeah. important. Awesome. Katie, what you do is so amazing and not everybody has a chance to, you know, hear you live. So what are, could you give some suggestions? I know you mentioned screenagers that, that video or that movie that was out. Um, but what are some of your top places that people can go to kind of be aware and get some education? Um, the website smartsocial.com is an awesome resource to learn all about the apps, what's good, what's bad, what's ugly. There are a ton of tips on there on how to lock down your YouTube settings, how to keep your kids safe, why is Snapchat the devil, <laughs> all sorts of resources on Smart Social. Um, Common Sense Media is a really good website as well for younger kids reviewing apps and reviewing books and movies that are out there that might not be appropriate for them. Um, and then really, like, unfortunately, you know, Screenagers is a great film, but it's about five years old. And so things have totally advanced and times have changed. There's a really great documentary on CNN, um, sorry, that CNN did called Hashtag Being 13. It is also two or three years old, but it really opened conversation for me with my oldest when we started talking about having a phone versus not having a phone. Um, it's about 45 minutes, and it's 200 teenagers that were interviewed about how hard it is to have social media, to have a phone, to be in school, and what they're up against. And I really felt like it was more current, more relevant, and it, a lot of parents have said, we've watched it together, and it's opened up some really amazing conversations. So those would be my top tips. Okay. Like uh, and if you're a book reader, I think... Um, Glow Kids, G-L-O-W, Kids, is a fascinating read about the impact of screen time on the developing brain. And then like on the girl-boy front, um, just developmentally stuff, Saving Our Sons and the book Untangled for Girls are two of my favorite reads. Awesome. I love it. Thank you. That's been my big thing too, is um, even audiobooks, speaking of technology, but like yeah, yeah. doing that. So I love yeah. it. It's so good. So my last question that we always ask everybody on these podcasts, but what does it mean to you to be brave? Oh my gosh. To be brave is really, oh, that's a good question. I think moving towards fear. I've been reading this book called When Everything Falls Apart mm -hmm. and not everything has fallen fallen apart lately for me, but I thought, I like that title. I want to know more. And in the book, it talks about um, people that are brave are moving closer to their fear and that fear is actually transformative. 
Yeah. So for me, being brave means being really fearful and, and, and just, you keep going, you keep going through the fear and pushing through it. Courage. Yeah. I love it. Katie, thank you so much. Thanks for all that you do and for being so on here. You. you too. I know. I love it. And, um, do you have, I know you have a Facebook, but do you have a place where people can follow you and reach you? So my current setup, unfortunately, is not a website. It's um, katiemcpherson.com, which is a redirect to my Facebook business page. Okay. But as you probably know, I post every day an article, an interview. I have some amazing people in my network. So if they're interested yes. in any sort of thing like that. And, and lastly, just to kind of wrap up the tough stuff that we talked about today, um, I often, after doing things like this, get phone calls about like, okay, I, after hearing her, I think my son is in distress or my daughter's in distress. So if I were to give people a four-step action plan, you've got to get your data first. So number one is a visit to the pediatrician's office for a depression screener. Mm -hmm. Number two is a blood test to make sure hormones are not completely out of whack. And number three is finding a really good um, counselor that's a good fit that the kid likes. And number four is connecting with the school and making sure you have communication going both ways that like, hey, we're diving into this. We need all eyes on our kid. Um, because typically that slide that we were talking about, people get paralyzed with fear and don't know what to do. So they don't do anything. I think that action plan of pediatrician getting my data, getting the neurobio stuff regulated, you have to get the body and the brain regulated before any good therapy can begin. Yeah. Well, I love the work that you're doing because I know what you're doing is, is taking this nationally and really trying to get schools, school districts to really step up. I know our school district recently just had a whole suicide day or a big workshop where the, everybody hit can and came in. And um, that was the first I've ever seen or heard of it. And, you know, here it is. I've got, I've got a 14 year old and a 12 year old. And that was the first time they ever did it. And I think that awareness is so key. And, um, you know, I know not all school districts are probably there yet and funding. I mean, is there anything people can do to encourage or even to, to help their schools be more aware? I don't think there's a zip code that I've been to that has not been touched by teen suicide. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it would be going to the American Federation of Suicide Prevention website, which is AF as in Frank, SP as in Paul.org, and looking, putting in your state's name and pulling the data. And it's a one sheet that says, this, these are the stats in our state. And then going to your PTOs, your site councils, your superintendents and saying, we, I want to be on the proactive front of this. Mm -hmm. We haven't had one in our district yet this year, but what are we doing to address this? Because yeah. it is happening everywhere. And it needs to start in third grade. Kids need to start talking about coping, resilience, and self-awareness long before middle and high school. You just had a post the other day. I loved it. Um, and I'm, I'm going to botch it up, so maybe you can tell me. But it was something like, you know, talking about iguanas doesn't make your kid an iguana or talking about like, it's not going to make, talking about sex doesn't make your kids have sex. Talking about suicide doesn't make your kids have suicide and or go to do suit. And I love that because I think we are so afraid. We're afraid we're going to put that thought in their mind or we're afraid we're going to create an interest or an idea. So 
Yeah, one of the prevention strategies of all suicide prevention agencies is adults need to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable and saying to anybody, child or adult, are you thinking of harming yourself? If you are thinking of harming yourself, how? Do you have a plan and do you have a way to carry out your plan? Um, again, like the, the little quote that I posted was talking to your kids about llamas isn't going to make them llamas. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, talking to them about sex isn't going to make them have sex. Kids are desperate to have these conversations. And the biggest complaint from kids is if I tell my mom that I vaped, she'll freak out. If I tell my mom that I had sex, she'll freak out. If I tell my mom I want to kill myself, she'll freak out. That is what I hear over and over and over. And so we continue to say we're trusted adults, but they don't trust us because we're not trustworthy. That's huge. That's such a good reminder. I mean, we just, we have to sit there and just say every time, you know, how do we react? Because it might, we might react that way over something small, but to your point there, I mean, if we react over things that are small, uh, them using a bad word or something, you know, they're going to think we're, we'll never be able to handle the bigger stuff for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And, and for me, it's not only about your child. If your child is on the internet, has social media or a gaming platform, they are being exposed to all of this negative self-talk, porn, vaping, drugs, et cetera, explicit content, whatever it is. So it doesn't have to be your kid that's struggling. These kids are deeply connected to each other online and they're seeing and saying things to each other that are pretty heavy duty. And so mm -hmm. to have that little head fall on a pillow at night and not have somebody in the house to go to, I think we can do better at that. Definitely. Good points. Awesome. Katie, thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you. you. You too. And um, we definitely, I, I definitely encourage everybody to go and check out her Facebook site because I get so much every single day from you. And honestly, like I said, I think I am a fossil and don't always know. And so we need to rely on each other and you've got great content. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank, Thank you, you Katie. So Thank, Thank you. you.